<clears throat> so this is a question that came. Actually, before I do the question, I just want to mention that it um, seems like we run out of blankets out there, extra blankets, and maybe some people are still looking for blankets. So if you have um, more blankets than you need, uh, having one or two back up on the shelves would be kind of helpful probably. It doesn't mean that everyone who has more than one has to return them and suddenly they're all piled up there. But uh, if you can just take a look and if you have more than you need and if there's nothing up there, maybe uh, you could, uh, if you could do without yours, it would be nice to share. So this question came, um, I think a couple of days ago. Can you talk about letting go? And it's like you know, one of the prime topics in Buddhism, so we could spend all night talking about letting go. So I'd like to offer you a few um, aspects of letting go that I've learned over my lifetime of practice. And it's not, not trying to be comprehensive on the topic. A really important thing that I learned is that if I don't feel some kind of joy or lightness when I let go of something, I probably haven't really, haven't let go. And uh, I used to sometimes let go and was kind of neutral and thought, oh good, I let go, everything's good. But neutral is not good enough because it would come back and bite me because I really hadn't let go. And, um, and the idea of feeling some kind of joy or lightness or happiness from letting go is I think very important. And in fact, you see in the teachings of the Buddha that the kind of practices he taught that related to letting go uh, he, he often referred to as bringing about some kind of happiness or joy. So the letting go of causing harm uh, brings, like for living by the precepts, li- brings the joy of, the happiness of blamelessness. The letting go of our attachments to what we can see, hear, smell, taste, and touch brings uh, what is called the natural happiness, a kind of certain kind of happiness. Letting go of being discontented with your material goods, you know, your housing, your rooms, your clothes, your food you have, um, brings the certain kind of joy that's called contentment, the very important kind of. And letting go of the hindrances brings um, um, pamoja, the word that uh, Adrian talked about, I guess I talked about, um, which is. Uh, delight or gladness. So to recognize there can be some joy or some sense of well-being, something good from letting go is uh, very helpful so that when we let go, we're not just letting go of something, we're letting go into something else. There's an opportunity in letting go. Letting go is not just a drag. You don't know, have to let go again, you know. Um, but rather, it's an op- really an opportunity for our improvement, to enhance our lives, to make it richer and nicer. And so to have some, have some sense to learn over time, uh, there's a way of letting go, and you're letting go into being here, letting go into being more relaxed, letting go into not being contracted, like going into joy and happiness, contentment, well-being. So it takes a little bit of studying of letting go. And one of the ways to study is to study what motivates you to let go. 
Sometimes people let go because of uh, aversion. Sometimes they let go because of fear. Sometimes they let go because they're trying to be good Buddhists. And, and it doesn't really work to let go for those reasons. It works to let go if you have a really, if you take the time to study what you think needs to be let go of, to be kind of, get to know it well. Um, because then you have wisdom when you let go. You know exactly what you're letting go of. You know the motivation why you're letting go. And you can let go out of wisdom and out of compassion, out of generosity. And those are great reasons to let go. There is, um, <clears throat> and also one of the fascinating things that especially you can sometimes see on retreat or in meditation, sometimes a little harder in daily life, is that um, uh, when we let go, Sometimes uh, we can see that there's selfing involved, self-identity issues, like I have to let go, I'm going to let go, I'm going to, I, I, I. It's all about me doing the work. I'm the, I'm the one who's going to do this. And that's fine sometimes. But on retreat, especially if you take the time to really be mindful and really be present for what is, and you really feel what it's like to hold on, feel the clinging and the craving, get to know it really well, take the time, then this amazing thing can happen sometimes. I think it's very impactful on the psyche, on the heart. And that is, your system will let go. You don't let go. Something lets go. It letting go, that you know, holding lets go of itself. And to have the experience that letting go happens without your agency, without you always being involved, like me doing it, is very freeing to realize that you don't have to always sit in the driver's seat. And uh, in fact, to always be in the driver's seat is exhausting. So, but this act of really looking carefully, what's here, what's here? And the final thing I'd like to say about letting go is um, <coughs> um, generally, I think it's not a good idea to let go of things and people unless it's being really clearly harmful. Um, uh, and, and the Buddha and his instructions on letting go, for the most part, was never about things like your money and people and relationships and all that. It was about letting go of the clinging to them. And there's a big difference between letting go of the clinging to things and letting go of the things. If you let go of the clinging, it might be natural to let it float away because it's not doing you any good. But uh, it's also possible to let go of the clinging and it, the thing remains, and it can be a ni nice part of your life, an important part of your life even, but you're not clinging, grasping it. So letting go doesn't mean you have to let go of things and people. It really has to do with the clinging. So this one is following on from that, and it's how to let go of the, of the thinking mind, or of the thinking mind. Um, and thoughts are not the enemy. There's actually a lovely um, piece that someone did some years ago where they took, um, you know, those pamphlets that you get in national parks about what to do if you meet a bear? Well, they've substituted thought 
the word bear all the way through. And I'm sorry I don't have it with me, but it's really great. For example, you don't run because the thought can run faster than you can. <laughs> Do you remember that? And if you see the thought before you see, if you see the thought, thought before, before it, it sees, sees you, you, back away. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And another um, slogan, I think this is from Ed, Ed Brown, um, if you have a thought, think nothing of it. <laughs> so it's really not to take them seriously. It's if you try and stop thinking, then there's, there's this resistance. It's like the old thing of don't think about white elephants or whatever it is, or pink elephants. But when you try and stop the mind from thinking about something, it fuels it. And so it's more just knowing that it's thinking and, and just being aware of that. And as best you can, not being involved in it. So it's not an active um, pushing away, because minds think that's what they do. It's more being able to um, not follow, which is a different thing than let go. It's just being the choice of not following a particular train of thought or of noticing the compulsion to keep following a particular train of thought. Um, and there are all sorts of um, ways that we can, we can explore that. But the main one is not to be disturbed by it. It's just what it's doing right now. Oh, there's a thought. There's another thought believing that thought. And so there's just this not identifying with the thoughts rather than I'm having ridiculous thoughts. Oh, a ridiculous thought. Oh, an identification with a ridiculous thought. Um, and having less concern about them disempowers them, not judging them. When we judge them, it, it fuels them. Um, Joseph Goldstein has an analogy, you know, of them being like clouds going by. And don't tether the clouds to the ground. <laughs> you know, don't hold on to them. Just let them go by. Um, and, that, and, and you'll see that they pass. Um, and being kind to them, the poor things. They can't help it that they <laughs> arose. <laughs> It's true, they just do it. <laughs> but we can change the conditions that give rise to certain types of thoughts by feeding more wholesome ones. So choosing to loving-kindness practice, choosing to have generous thoughts rather than grumpy ones or whatever. So there's a, you can't stop them arising, but you can choose whether you follow them. And it's like, it's like the train analogy that you're all familiar with. The train pulls into the station and you, the, you, you see, you, sometimes you have a chance to see who or what is in the carriage and you can make a choice. I'm not getting in that one. Sometimes you get in and you can get off at the next station when you realize who was in there. <laughs> sometimes it's an express train and it doesn't stop at the next station. And then you're gone, you're at the destination. Um, but you can still... Um, oh, that's what happened. 
and not get judgmental about it. So, it's a, the mind is creative. It's just having choice about whether what's it, what it's creating is skillful or unskillful. So be friendly to the thoughts. <laughs>